The Last Chapter of The Mysteries of Paris, Volume 6, by Eugène Sue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Last Chapter, The Thirteenth of January, Rodolphe to Clémence. The Thirteenth of January. Now a doubly sinister anniversary. Dearest, we have lost her forever. All is over, ended all. It is true, then. There is a horrid pleasure in relating a terrible grief. Yesterday I was complaining of the necessity that kept you from me. Today, Clémence, I congratulate myself that you are not here. You would have suffered too much. This morning I was in a light slumber and was awakened by the sound of bells. I started in a fright. It seemed to me a funereal sound. A knell. In fact, our daughter is dead, dead to us. And from today, Clémence, you must begin to wear her mourning in your heart, a heart always so maternally disposed towards her. Whether our child be buried beneath the marble of a tomb or the vault of the cloister, what is the difference to us? Hardly eighteen years of age, yet dead to the world. At noon the profession took place, with solemn pomp, and I was present, concealed behind the curtains of our pew. I felt, but even with greater intensity, all the poignant emotion we underwent at her novitiate. How strange! She is adored, and they believe universally that she was attracted to a religious life by an irresistible vocation, and yet, whilst they believe it was a happy event for her, an overwhelming sadness weighed down the spectators. There appeared in the very air, as it were, a doleful foreboding, and it was founded if only half realized. The profession terminated, they led our child into the chapter-room, where the nomination of the new abbess was to take place, and, thanks to my sovereign privilege, I went into this room to await Fleur de Marie's return to the choir. She soon entered. Her emotion and weakness were so excessive that two of the sisters supported her. I was alarmed less at her paleness and the great change in her features than at the peculiar expression of her smile, which seemed to me imprinted with a kind of secret satisfaction. Clémence, I say to you, perhaps we may very soon require all our courage. I feel within myself that our child is mortally smitten. May heaven grant that I am deceived, and may my presentiments arise only from the despairing sadness which this melancholy spectacle has inspired. Fleur de Marie entered the chapter-room, all the stalls were filled by the nuns. She went modestly to place herself last on the left-hand side, still leaning on the arm of one of the sisters, for she yet appeared very weak. The Princess Juliana was seated at the end of the apartment, with the Grand Prioress on one side and another dignitary on the other, holding in her hand the golden crozier, the symbol of abbatial authority. There was profound silence, and then the Lady Abbess arose, took the crozier in her hand, and said in a voice of great emotion, "'My dear daughters,' My great age compels me to confide to younger hands this emblem of my spiritual power, and she pointed to the crozier. I am authorized by a bull of our Holy Father. I will therefore present to the benediction of Monseigneur the Archbishop of Oppenheim, and to the approbation of His Royal Highness the Grand Duke our Sovereign, whosoever of my dear daughter shall be pointed out by you to succeed me. Our Grand Prioress, will inform you of the result of the election, and she who has been chosen will receive my crozier and ring. I did not take my eyes off my daughter. 
standing up in her stall, her two hands folded over her bosom, her eyes cast down and half covered by her white veil and the long folds of her black gown, she was pensive and motionless, not supposing for a moment that she would herself be elected, as this fact had been communicated by the abbess to no one but myself. The grand prioress took a book and read, Each of our dear sisters having been, according to the rule, requested a week since to place her vote in the hands of our Holy Mother, and keep her choice secret until this moment. In the name of our Holy Mother I declare to you, my dear, dear sisters, that one of you has, by her exemplary piety, merited the unanimous suffrages of the community, and that she is our sister Amélie, the most noble and puissant princess of Gerolstein. At these words a murmur of pleased surprise and satisfaction went around the apartment. The eyes of all the nuns were fixed on my daughter with an expression of tender sympathy, and in spite of my painful forebodings, I was myself deeply touched at this nomination, which, done isolatedly and secretly, had yet presented such an affecting unanimity. The abbess continued in a serious and loud voice, My dear daughters, if it be, indeed, Sister Amélie, whom you think the most worthy and most deserving of you all, if it be she whom you recognize as your spiritual superior, let each of you reply to me in turn, my dear daughters. And each nun replied in a clear voice, Freely and voluntarily I have chosen, and I do choose, Sister Amélie for my holy mother and superior. Overcome by inexpressible emotion, my poor child fell on her knees, clasped her hands, and remained so until each vote was declared. Then the abbess, placing the crozier and the ring in the hands of the grand prioress, advanced towards my daughter to take her hand and conduct her to the abbatial seat. "'Rise, my dear daughter,' said the abbess. "'Come and assume the place that belongs to you. Your virtues, and not your rank, have obtained for you the position you have gained.' "'Pardon, my holy mother, but I would speak to my sisters.' Then first place yourself, my dear child, in your abbatial seat, said the princess. It is from thence your voice shall be heard. That place, holy mother, never can be mine, replied Fleur de Marie in a low and tremulous voice. What mean you, my dear daughter? So high a dignity was not made for me, holy mother. But the wishes of all your sisters call you to it. Permit me, Holy Mother, to make here, on my knees, a solemn confession, and my sisters will see, and you also, Holy Mother, that the humblest condition is not humble enough for me. This arises from your modesty, my dear child, said the superior with kindness, believing that the unhappy girl was giving way to a feeling of over-delicacy. But I divined the confession Fleur de Marie was about to make, and greatly alarmed, I exclaimed, in a voice of entreaty, My child! I conjure thee. It is impossible, my dearest Clémence, to describe the look which Fleur de Marie gave me. In an instant she understood all, and saw how deeply I should share in the shame of this horrible revelation. She comprehended that after such a confession they might accuse me of falsehood, for I had always made it out that Fleur de Marie had never left her mother. At this reflection the poor dear child thought she would be guilty of the blackest ingratitude towards me. She had not power to continue, but bowed down her head, overcome, overwhelmed. Again, I assure you, my dear child, said the abbess, your modesty deceives you. 
the unanimity of the choice of your sisters proves how worthy you are to replace me. It is not the princess, it is Sister Amélie who is elected. For us your life began on the day when you first put foot in this house of the Lord, and it is this exemplary and holy life that we recompense. I will say more, my dear daughter. If before you entered this retreat your life had been as wrong as it has been, on the contrary, pure and praiseworthy, the heavenly virtues of which you have given me an example since your abode here would expiate and ransom in the eyes of the Lord any past life, however culpable. And now, my dear daughter, judge if your modesty ought not to be reassured. These words of the abbess were, as you may think, my Clémence, the more precious for Fleur de Marie, as she believed the past ineffaceable. Unfortunately, this scene had deeply moved her, and although she affected calmness and serenity, I saw that her features altered in a most distressing manner. "'I believe I have convinced you, my dear daughter,' said the Princess Juliana, "'and you will not cause so great a grief to your sisters "'as to refuse this mark of their confidence and affection.' "'No, Holy Mother,' she said with an expression which struck me, "'and in a voice more and more feeble. "'I think now I may accept.' but as I feel myself fatigued and in pain, if you will permit it, Holy Mother, the ceremony of the consecration shall not take place for a few days. As you wish, my dear daughter. But in the meanwhile, until your dignity is blessed and consecrated, take this ring, come to your place, and our dear sisters will do you homage according to our rules. And the superior, putting the pastoral ring on Fleur de Marie's finger, led her to the abbatial seat. It was a simple and touching sight. Supported on one side by the grand prioress, bearing the golden crozier, and on the other by the princess Juliana, each of the sisters, as she passed by, made obeisance to our child, and respectfully kissed her hand. But judge of my affright when she swooned before the procession of the sisters was terminated. David had not quitted the convent, and he hastened to the abbess's apartment, whither we had conveyed her and then attended to her. The superior having returned to close the sitting of the chapter, I remained alone with my daughter. After looking at me for some time, she said, My dear father, can you forget my ingratitude? Can you forget that at the moment when I was about to make my painful confession, when you implored me? Silence, I beseech you. And I did not reflect, she continued with bitterness, that in telling in the face of all the world from what an abyss of depravity you had rescued me, I revealed a secret which you had preserved out of tenderness to me. It would have been to accuse you publicly, you, my father, of a dissimulation, which you only resigned yourself to assure me a brilliant and honoured existence. Can you ever forgive me? Instead of replying, I pressed my lips on her forehead. She felt my tears flow. Having kissed my hands many times, she said, Now I feel better, and as I now am dead to the world, I should like to make a few bequests in favor of several persons. But as all I have comes from you, do you authorize me, dearest father? Say, dearest, and I will do all you desire. I should wish my beloved mother to keep always in the little boudoir in which she usually sits, my embroidery frame with the work I began. It shall be so, love. Your apartment is as when you left it. Clémence will be deeply touched by your thought of her. As for you, dear father, take, I pray, my large ebony armchair, in which I have thought of, 
reflected upon so much. I will put it beside my own, in my own private closet, and will imagine I see you in it every day, where you have so often sat, I said, unable to repress my tears. And now I would leave some souvenirs to those who took so much interest in me when I was unhappy. To Madame Georges, I would give the writing desk I have lately used. She taught me to write originally, so the gift will be very appropriate, she said with her sweet smile. As to the venerable curé of Bouqueval, who instructed me in the religion, I intend for him the beautiful crucifix in my oratory. Very well, my dearest child. I should like to send my bandeau of pearls to my good little Rigolette. It is a simple ornament which she may wear in her beautiful black hair. And as you know where Martial and La Louve are in Algeria, I should like to send to the brave woman who saved my life, my gold enameled cross. These different keepsakes, dearest father, I would have sent to them from Fleur de Marie. I will do all you wish. I will not forget one. I am sure you will not, dearest father. Is there no other person present to your memory? The dear child understood me and pressed my hand whilst a slight blush tinged her pale cheeks as I said, He is better, out of danger. And his father? Better as his son is better. And what will you give to Henry? A souvenir from you will be a consolation so dear and precious. My father, offer him my prix Dieu. Alas, I have often watered it with my tears when begging from heaven for strength to forget Henry, as I was unworthy of his love. How happy it will make him to see that you have had one thought of him. As to the asylum for the orphans and young girls abandoned by their parents, I should wish, my dear father, that— Here Rodolphe's letter was broken off by these words almost illegible. Clémence, Murphy will conclude this letter. I am lost, bereft of sense. Ah, the 13th of January. At the end of this letter Murphy had written as follows. Madame, by the order of His Royal Highness I complete this sorrowful recital. The two letters of Monseigneur will have prepared Your Royal Highness for the overwhelming news I have to communicate. Three hours since, whilst Monseigneur was writing to Your Royal Highness, I was waiting in the antechamber for a letter to be dispatched by a courier, when suddenly I saw the Princess Juliana enter in the greatest consternation. "'Where is His Royal Highness?' she said to me in an agitated voice. "'Writing to the Grand Duchess,' I replied. "'Sir Walter,' she said, "'you must inform Monseigneur of a terrible event. "'You are his friend, you should tell him. "'From you the blow may be less terrible.' "'I understood all, and thought it most prudent "'to charge myself with a distressing intelligence. "'The superior having added that the Princess Amélie "'was sinking gradually, "'and that Monseigneur must hasten to receive his daughter's last sigh, "'I went into the Duke's room,' who saw how pale I was. You have some bad news for me. Terrible, Monseigneur, but courage, courage. Ah, my forebodings, he exclaimed, and without adding a word he ran to the cloisters. I followed him. From the apartment of the superior, the Princess Amélie had been conveyed to her cell after her last interview with Monseigneur. One of the sisters watched over her, and at the end of an hour she perceived that the Princess Amélie's voice who spoke to her at intervals, was weaker and more and more oppressed. The sister hastened to inform the superior, who sent for Dr. David, who administered a cordial. But it was useless. 
the pulse was scarcely perceptible. He saw with despair that the reiterated emotions having probably exhausted the little strength of the Princess Amélie, there was not a hope of saving her left. Monseigneur arrived at this moment. The Princess Amélie had just received the last sacrament. A slight degree of consciousness remained. In one hand, crossed over her chest, she held the remains of her little rose-tree. Monseigneur fell on his knees at the foot of the bed and sobbed, My child, my beloved child, in a voice of piercing agony. The Princess Amélie heard him, turned her head a little towards him, opened her eyes, tried to smile, and said in a faint voice, My dearest father, pardon, Henry too, and my beloved mother, pardon. These were her last words. After a slight struggle of one hour, she rendered her soul to God. When his daughter had breathed her last sigh, Monseigneur did not say a word. His calmness and silence were frightful. He closed the eyelids of the princess, kissed her forehead several times, took piously from her hands the relics of the little rose-tree, and left the cell. I followed him, and he returned to the house outside the cloister when, showing me the letter he had commenced writing to your royal highness, and to which he in vain endeavoured to add a few words, for his hand trembled too convulsively, he said to me, I cannot write, I am crushed, my senses are gone. Write to the Grand Duchess that I have no longer a daughter. I have executed the orders of Monseigneur. May I be allowed as his old servant to entreat your royal highness to hasten your return as soon as the health of Monsieur d'Orbigny will permit. Nothing but the presence of your royal highness can calm Monseigneur's despair. He will watch his daughter's remains every night until the day when she is to be buried in the Grand Ducal Chapel. I have accomplished my sad task, madame. Deign to excuse the incoherence of this letter, and to receive the expression of respectful devotion which I have the honour to be, your royal highness's most obedient servant, Walter Murphy. On the evening before the funeral of the Princess Amélie, Clémence arrived at Gerolstein with her father. Rodolphe was not alone on the day of Fleur de Marie's internment. End of the Epilogue End of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume 6 by Eugène Sue Recorded by Céline Major.